You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 29th of November, 2023, um, and it's, it's some... Of course, as you know, it's some very, very interesting topics that we're going to be talking about in this afternoon's Drive Time show. Firstly, we're going to be talking about healthy eating and uh, different things in regards to that. Um, obviously, when it comes to healthy eating, there are different, um, there's a different perspective which people talk about healthy eating as well. And one way that we want to talk about or one sort of angle that we want to talk about healthy, healthy eating or healthy living is how we can actually slow your rate of aging. So how how interesting is that? Those people who are maybe getting a bit older, getting into middle aged, um, and uh, you know, getting a few wrinkles here and there, a few white hairs here and there. I know I've got a few white hairs, but uh, it's 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 something that we can it's something that we can all benefit from, and how we can slow the process of aging. <laughs> I mean, how wonderful is that? I mean, we're going to be talking about that and. Um, Talking to talking to an expert as well uh, with the, you know some some in, in regards to in regards to this topic and talking about different uh, ways in which some people some sort of uh, people in society they might be they can be malnourished they might not get the right nutrition the right food drink water especially not just in uh, not just in 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 the third world countries, but in the first world countries as well, which is something quite interesting. And we'll, I'm going to give you some stats, some figures a little bit later on during the course of the show as well. But obviously, if you want to call in, if you want to contribute to the show, the number to call in as always is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And uh, I would love to love to talk to you and hear your thoughts uh, in regards to this uh, to this very very interesting and pressing topic. Secondly. What we are going to be talking about on this Drive Time show today, this afternoon, is a topic which is, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the fundamental basis of any single religion, not just Islam, but uh, and not just Abrahamic religions, but also all, religion, all religions across the world from, from, you know, from time immemorial until the end of time. This topic will always be a core subject and that is Allah the Almighty God Almighty and that is something that we're going to be talking about His existence um, and we've done different shows in the past which which outline and show display how God Almighty exists and how He sort of portrayed Himself in the past but how He does that in the present and in the future as well and that is something that we're going to be talking about, trying to shed some light in regards to that as well. And obviously, in regards to the Islamic perspective, we're going to be talking about that as well, because it is the voice of Islam. We're going to be giving the Islamic perspective in regards to both of these topics, which are quite, quite interesting. Um, as I said, the number to call in, as always, is the uh, the zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. The lines are open, and uh, please do call in as well. Just talking about eating in general Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran in chapter 7 verse 32 O children of Adam look to your adornment at every time and place of worship 
And now, and now, now listen. Allah the Almighty then says, and eat and drink, but exceed not the bounds. Surely, He does not love those who exceed the bounds. Now, how beautiful and how categoric is this verse? Allah the Almighty is saying that, you know, whenever there's a place of worship, take you know, take benefit from that. Take benefit from that, and also. Something which people might not think that is is linked, but it is linked. Eating and drinking, and not just eating and drinking, but making sure that whatever you're eating, whatever you're drinking, is not exceeding the bounds. You're not going too much. You're not going too less. I mean, there's two extremes that you can go to: too much and too less. Staying bang on in the middle. That is what Islam teaches. Islam teaches to choose the to choose the middle ground, and that is what that is what the holy that is what the Holy Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, taught as well. Um, talking about some uh, some statistics as well, we'll come to that as I mentioned in just a bit as well. But it's often quite easy to to to, to you know, let's face it, it's quite easy to lose yourself in the tempta- in temptations of eating food that is quite you know that is unhealthy. It's very easy to go on your phone, go on your applications, ordering something which is maybe you know. If you order something over £10 or £15, you're going to get a £20 discount. If you order something over £20, you're going to get a £40 discount. It's very easy to, to, to be a prey to these schemes, which, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's all right to treat yourself. It's all right to eat outside once in a while as well. But when these sort of messages come on a regular basis from, from whatever, I'm not going to name the... Um, the franchise or the or the actual companies that do that, but obviously everyone knows, and it's very easy because within minutes, within 10, 15, 20 minutes, is at your doorstep, and you're going to be eating that food, which it probably, if you if you wanted to cook, it would take much more time as well. Sometimes, cooking at home could not just take a lot of time. Obviously, it takes effort as well, but also it. Uh, it, sometimes it even costs more. Sometimes it's just very easy to just order something at your doorstep and it's going to come within the next 15 minutes and you're going to yam it down, you're going to eat it, and then that's the end of it. Um, now, the reason why I'm mentioning this or talking about this is because the increase in junk food intake has, has led to the production of many new items that attracts consumers. And that is what keeps them going and going and going. Although the increased venue has had a positive impact on the economy, it's important for us to highlight that there is a strong positive correlation between the increase of unhealthy foods and risky and health risks as well, which are very, much, very, very much risky. It's important for us to understand all of these things. Why is it important? Because I'll tell you, in today's society, around 25.9% of adults in England are, guess what, obese. And an additional 37.9% are considered overweight. So, you know, what does that tell you? That's, some, that's a statistic there, right? You know, at our fingertips. What we can understand from this is that 25%, that's a quarter of adults in England, are obese. And even more than that, you know, about more than a third, right? More than a third of, uh, of of adults are actually considered overweight here in England. Now, there are many campaigns that are encouraging healthy eating and better lifestyles to prevent people 
from becoming obese or overweight to obviously to raise awareness of a better lifestyle. A lot of the time, people are unaware. That that's that's literally it. People are unaware. People don't even realize that the the snacks that they're having on a regular basis. Maybe they're sitting down. They're watching TV. They've become a couch potato. They're yamming down on the on the snacks, and that's what. Guess what? What guess what happens after after a few weeks? They get overweight. If they don't realize that, if they don't realize that they're getting overweight, they're putting on a few pounds. Then, two three months down the line, if they continue on the same path, you know it, it's sort of inevitable they're going to be obese. And that is the sad reality, and that is why we are doing a show today to talk about these things because when we eat healthy then we can live healthy and when we live healthy when we eat healthy that can slow the rate for aging and that is what we are talking about 0208 6877878 is the number for you to call tell me what you think in regards to this as well if you have some challenges if you face some challenges if you, if you know someone who's going through these sort of challenges and maybe they maybe you think they need some help they need some more uh, uh information in regards to this or maybe you have it, your own experience that you want to share with us so i know it can be a difficult task talking about your problems and talking about difficulties that you face in the past but still it can encourage someone else um also as i mentioned 0208687 is the number for you to call as i mentioned it is the voice of islam and we are and we do talk about the the teachings of Islam in regards to this and what better way to talk about it than the holy quran which is which is the god given book to us by allah the almighty and explained to us by the holy prophet of islam the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him now listen up this is what he said and this is this is you know scientists they think that you know oh yes we have this advancement and that advancement but guess what a lot of the things a lot of the things which have been you know which scientists are discovering now we you know discovered is a you know is is in speech bubbles over here but that has been told to us 1400 years ago now listen to this the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him he said that when you eat right when you eat you f- you should fill your stomach uh, in, in regards to a a quantity a specific quantity now if you take your stomach for example and then you divide that into 3 One third should be for for eating. So whatever you eat, you should fill your stomach up uh, one third with the food. One third should be for water or you know whatever drink that you're drinking, and one third should be left. The the final third should be left, so that you can breathe easily. Now, how beautiful is that? So, one third you leave for food. One third you leave for water. One third you leave for for air, so you can breathe properly. what do we see on the other hand we see that people overindulge in you know in, in in the food that they have they have too much food they have excess of food and then they don't feel a third maybe they feel uh, you know a, a half or maybe even more than that then they have water or their drinks or whatever if they have fizzy drinks then that's, that's even worse um obviously if you have juice then it could be less worse but obviously if you have water that would be that would be the best thing to have with food but Let's face it, people, you know, if you, especially if you're having junk food, then most people are not going to have water with the pizza. If you're having a hat, if you're having a, if you're having a, 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 you know, a cheeseburger, you're not going to have water with it. You're gonna, you're gonna have a drink with it. So obviously, with these fizzy drinks, 
comes all these other problems as well. And obviously, when you when you know when you fill your stomach up with these things, that can be very that can be very detrimental uh, for for your health as well. But obviously, we're going to talk about this, uh, continue this a little bit later on. Let's speak to our guest who is on the line with us, Shona Godi, who is a policy and advocacy manager at the Food Foundation. Peace be upon you. Good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi there, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us this uh, this afternoon. Now, just to begin, just to begin, let's to start off with. Can you start off by telling telling us uh, a little bit about you know your 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 charity, Food Foundation, and how it helps to improve the lives of young children? Yes. Yeah, so the Food Foundation is a charity that advocates and campaigns for government to do more to make sure that everyone in the UK is able to eat well. So that means that they're able to get enough food but also that that food is healthy and sustainable and a big part of that is focused on low-income families and tackling the barriers that they face um, including being able to afford healthy food Um, and we have a particular focus on children as well because we know that childhood is such an important time for children to get a healthy diet because it can affect their physical health, their growth, their development, um, and also can have a really big impact on their mental health as well. And we've sort of got this situation at the moment in the UK where it's really challenging for children to to eat well. Our research shows that nearly one in four households with children are, are food insecure. So that means that um, those families can't afford enough food or they're mm. skipping meals um, or not eating even though they're hungry and those kind of issues because they can't afford to get the food that they need Um, and then at the same time we're also seeing really high levels of obesity affecting children so Hmm. when children are leaving primary school in England over a third of those are in an unhealthy weight at this point and it's actually twice as those levels are twice as high in the lowest income groups compared to the highest so there's a situation where children are, are not getting enough food and going hungry but also are reliant on the cheap food which tends to be the really processed unhealthy food that's kind of lacking in the nutrients that children really need. So we're really working to kind of change that system and get government to introduce policies so that healthy food is kind of affordable and available for everyone and and so that no child in this country should have to go hungry or go without the food they need to to be healthy. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that is what I was going to lead on to as well. I was going to ask that, you know, obviously despite the fact that um, we're we're living here in, in a first world country, in a developed country as well, some families and children, like you just like you just mentioned and outlined, that they are still struggling to have a well balanced and you know a, a nutritious diet, nutritious meals. Um, why do you think that is, though? What's the, what do you think the core reason is for that? An absolutely core reason why we're seeing that is that that healthy food is just simply not affordable for a lot of people. Um, mm. We know that very often a lot of people they want to be able to eat healthily and they know what the healthy choice is so it's not a question of you know lack of education or anything like that but it's simply the fact that um they can't afford to do it we put out a report every year called broken plate that looks at how affordable food is and what we found in that is that on average per calorie healthy food is actually twice as expensive Mm. as less healthy food and so for people on tight incomes it's much much harder to to pick that healthy options when you've got that pressure and Um, We also found that the poorest fifth of the population would need to spend half of their disposable income on food Hmm. in order to afford the healthy diet that the government recommends. And that's obviously just, you know, completely 
unrealistic. It's just not possible for families to spend that amount of their income on food. And so that's why we're seeing sort of people on lower incomes having less healthy diets and not able to have nutritious meals. And, you know, the results of that are really serious. They have, you know, families are seeing an increase in people experiencing diseases related to unhealthy diets like Mm. diabetes and those kind of conditions. So it has really big consequences. So we really need to kind of see this change in the system. So we we rebalance the cost so that healthier food becomes cheaper than unhealthy food so that it's easier for people to to eat well. And we also really need to look at income and make sure that people are paid fair wages and um, also for people on benefits to make sure that if someone needs to be on benefits that the payments they're receiving from that are sufficient to be able to afford a decent diet as well. So mm-hmm. I think addressing that income barrier is the main thing to that's stopping people from getting that well-balanced and nutritious meal. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't uh, agree more. Why do you think, I mean, there was a study that 900,000 children who who are living, are still, you know, sort of living in poverty and they're not eligible for free school meals. What changes do you think then uh, need to be placed in at, at a government level? I know you spoke about this uh, in just now as well, but if you can just elaborate a little bit more on that, because I remember a couple of decades ago, they... In, in in primary schools especially, they used to give children uh, milk to drink as well. But now they they, they just they stop that. Um, so, could, do you think that they can sort of bring that back and different schemes like that maybe provide free school meals all over? Because there are you know just under a million uh, children who who don't have access to 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 free school meals. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a really serious issue, and we need to see government really taking it seriously and investing in children's health and well-being and making sure they can get the food that they need at school. So, as you say, free school meals are available for children on the lowest income. But the problem is that there's an income criteria that families have to be earning less than. So they have to be earning less than £7,400 a year in order to get free school meals. And that's still an incredibly low amount of money. And so that means that there's a lot of children and families who are just above that threshold and so they're still living in poverty and they're not able to afford a school lunch from the canteen um and despite that they're not getting a free school meal and instead they you know a lot of them are reliant on packed lunches which we know tend to be a less healthy Mm. option and in a lot of cases you know they can't afford anything at all for for children so giving them free school meals could just make such a big difference to them it would just guarantee them one nutritious meal a day and that can make a real difference to their to their health but also we know it's really difficult for children to to concentrate in class when their stomachs are rumbling so Mm -hmm. it can actually improve their learning which affects how well they do in school which has implications for their whole future so i think it's really important that government take this issue more seriously and do expand free school meals to more children um and in London, actually, we've seen the mayor kind of take matters into his own hand and yeah, he's made yeah. free school meals available for all children in, in primary school, which, uh, you know, that will be a real game changer for those children. It will make such a difference to to their lives. Um, but we're sort of ending up with this postcode lottery where, depending mm, on where yeah. a child lives in the country, depends on whether they're getting their access to a free school meal, which is, you know, obviously really an unfair situation so we need to see government expanding that and doing that across the whole country and um making sure all children can benefit from a decent school lunch absolutely absolutely i mean the mayor of london as you mentioned uh, has taken things into in her, his own uh, own hands as well and 
it is somewhat of a of a postcode lottery as well. Depending on where you live, you, you might get access to it. If you live somewhere else, you you might not. Um, just talking about a little bit more about food consumption uh, as well. Why is vegetable consumption here in the UK so low? And obviously, what can be done to to make sure and ensure that the intake in vegetables in our diets actually increases, especially for the youngsters, because they you know they're growing. Yeah, exactly. Um, vegetables are so important for health. I mean, they really make such a difference to to preventing disease and making sure that children are growing up well. And I think everyone's kind of familiar with the recommendation that we should be having five fruit and veg a, a day. But on average, um, I think children are having sort of around three portions a day and many are having less than that. So there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done to sort of improving that that intake of vegetables and and fruit as well. Um, I think the affordability issue that I mentioned earlier is just a really big factor in its sort of option that, um, and I think parents are also quite, if you're on a low income, they want to give children the safe options that they know they're going to eat, they know it's not going to waste, they know it's going to fill them up. And that's quite often not, and also things that are convenient and quick to prepare. And sometimes fruit and veg are just not the easiest options for parents when they're you know they've got time constraints they've got money constraints it can be really difficult to to do that and there's a few government schemes that are in place that are designed to help children get more fruit and veg and um but i think improvement is needed to them to really have impact and so those are good things that government could build on to actually make it easier for children to eat more fruit and veg so for example there's a school fruit and veg scheme that means that children can get a free piece of fruit and veg at at school break every day but it's only available to children in the first three years of school and so Mm. um, expanding it to all ages of children could make a really big difference Um, there's sort of standards for what has to be served at school lunches as well which means that um, school canteens have to offer one portion of veg in England but in Scotland it's two portions of veg so again Mm. that's a really simple change that could be made that would just make vegetables more easily available and accessible for children um, and then for children who aren't yet at school there's a scheme called Healthy Start that's available to low income families um, with children under the age of, of four and it provides a digital card that has a value of 425 a week that can be used to specifically buy um, fruit and veg um, as well as sort of milk and formula for babies um, mm. But currently, there's only two thirds of people who are eligible for the scheme who are actually getting it because a lot of people just aren't aware of it. So that's another thing that we've really been calling on government and supermarkets to do is raise awareness of that scheme and make sure that people know about it. And similarly to free school meals, the income threshold to qualify is really low. So that's another area where expanding it to more children could make a real difference. And it really just helps address those issues around the affordability of fruit and, and veg. And that's really what we need to see happen to improve diets for children across the UK. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's some wonderful things that you've uh, spoken about, Shona, and, uh, you know, continue. please do continue with uh, with your Charity Food Foundation and uh, trying to get as many kids that can, who, are, who, who need to get free school meals as well, and various other things that you guys are doing as well. Thank you so much once again, and a uh, pleasure to, to speak to you. Have a, have a lovely day. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was Shona from the Policy and Advocacy, who is a Policy and Advocacy Manager at the Food Foundation, which is a charity, and they're doing some good job, some good works uh, uh, over there. 
Um, we, before we before we spoke to her, we were talking about the, the teachings of Islam in regards to how or what is the best way to make sure that whatever you are eating, you are eating it in a moderate way and in a way that does not that you don't overeat. Obviously, there are some people who who tend to eat a little bit more. There are people who tend to eat a little bit less. The way to actually, you know, you know, put a restraint on yourself or control yourself is to make sure that whenever you think that you're about to be full, to stop, you can stop eating right there. Because when you stop eating after about fifteen to twenty minutes, your 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 stomach would feel as if it's full. So even when you think that you can, maybe. A little, eat a little bit more but you think that that's enough for you right now that is the best time to stop and that is what the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him meant when he said that when you eat a meal right one third should be for the food one third should be for the water and one third should be for left for the air so that you can breathe properly as well sometimes you know you eat too much you eat so much that you can't even walk afterwards you can't even breathe afterwards properly you can't even laugh afterwards and so, if that is your state after eating, then just know that you've eaten too much. Um, what is the checklist? There's a checklist uh, of the essential, uh, the life's essential uh, checklist, which has eight different things um, mentioned uh, mentioned on that, and that's been created by the American Heart Association, and that is the, uh, that is done to help improve cardiovascular disease and just just health in general. So. I'll just go through that for the benefit of our listeners as well. The first thing is to eat better. I mean, obviously, eat better, isn't it? We should aim to implement a healthy eating pattern that includes a balanced diet and eating from a wide a wide range of different things, fruits, vegetables, meat, yes, meat, um, various other things as well, even dairy products, fats as well, carbohydrates, all the, other, all the things. If you eat it in a nice, moderate way, then that would be the best thing to do. Some people say, you know what? I'm going to cut out um, a particular thing. I've cut out vegetables completely. I'm going to cut out fruit completely. I'm going to cut out carbs uh, completely. I'm going to cut out meat, various other things. There's obviously different uh, organizations which which have their own agendas. But still, what I'm trying to say is that if you eat a a balanced diet and all the things that we can eat, the fruits, the veggies, the veggies, the meats, everything, that would be the best thing to do. And obviously, not leaving anything else, such as, you know, nuts. Obviously, if you're allergic, then that's a, that's a completely different thing. But when you eat, then eat all the things, but eat moderately. Allah the Almighty even says, the verse which I mentioned right in the beginning, eat and drink, but do not exceed the limits. Don't exceed the bounds. So that is what Allah the Almighty is saying over here. And this is what I'm trying to tell you guys also. Another thing which Allah the Almighty mentions is that when you eat, you should eat those things which are halal, permissible, and tayyib, wholesome. I'll come to that in just a bit as well. Um, the second thing which is mentioned in the American Heart Association, the, the, the list that they made, the checklist that they made for life's essentials um, to better improve our health and everything, to be more active. People should aim... And this is what they said, that people should aim for two and a half hours of moderate activity or 75 minutes of uh, sort of strenuous 
uh, activity, physical activity per week. And children should have at least an hour of uh, uh, constructed activity to play. And normally they do that in school anyway. They normally have an hour's break anyway. But still, it's something to, to look at. Two and a half hours in a you know moderate activity or 75 proper, proper physical activity during the week for, for, for adults. Another thing which is quite interesting, and obviously a lot of people know about this one anyway, but is to quit tobacco. Now, the, 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 when you inhale nicotine products, whether they're cigarettes, or e-cigarettes, or vaping, it's one of the leading causes uh, of, uh, of preventable death. Um, and this includes a third of all deaths from heart disease. And approximately, listen to this, approximately, a third of children aged 3 to 11, which is basically primary school, a third of them are exposed to secondhand smoke and vaping smoke as well. So, you know, it's in front of us. We know. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know this is going to be harmful for us. We know it's going to be harmful for, for our children. Obviously, people, if we're doing it in front of our children, if we're doing it in the car, in front of our children, in the house, everywhere, then, you know, at least at least don't, don't involve them in this. If you want to do it, you do it. Don't involve them in it. Make sure that, you know, if you want to if you want to stay healthy, first of all, you should try to quit these things anyway. Obviously, it's it's very easy for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, you know what? You should quit. But I know it can be it can be quite difficult. It can be a long process. It can you know, you can have setbacks as well. You can have drawbacks. But also to have this positive mindset to think that, you know what, I'm going to have a goal. And this is my goal to eat, to eat healthy, to be healthy to be physically to, to to make myself physical physically active as well but also at the same time all the things which are harmful for me for my lungs for my uh, for my stomach for my body for my everything i'm going to quit those those things i'm going to cut down and then i'm going to quit completely i mean if you have a goal if you have a mindset and you stick to that mindset you will definitely become successful now obviously if you pray to allah the almighty as well not leaving uh, that out Another thing, or the fourth thing, which uh, they have mentioned on this list is get healthy sleep. A lot of people don't realize th- don't realize this, but children require ten to sixteen hours of sleep. Obviously, it depends on how old the child is, but ten to sixteen hours of sleep, and that includes you know the naps during the day uh, as well. But that's around nine to twelve hours uh, of age. You know those children which are age six to six to twelve, and eight to ten hours for children who are a little bit older from 13 to 18 so that's about secondary school secondary school children and a-level children should be getting eight to ten hours of sleep um but obviously if you're younger then you know if you're if you're if you're if you're if you're you're six to twelve then you should be getting nine to twelve hours of sleep as well for most adults they require approximately seven to nine hours of sleep every night and Getting enough sleep is vital, is absolutely necessary to, um, to, to involve your, to make sure that your brain functions, to make sure that your body functions properly. And that can also, if you get enough sleep, if you get a proper sleep, that can reduce the risk of chronic diseases. And that can also allow internal organs to, to heal uh, at the same time as well. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. And a lot of people... What what do they do? They go to sleep very late. They have to get up in the morning because they have to go to work, because they have to go to school, they have to go to uni, they have to go to a 9am or whatever. But 
they don't do the preparation before that. They don't go to sleep early enough. And that's what happens is they don't get enough sleep. When they wake up in the morning, they get all groggy and they, the whole day is basically a flop for them. What's the best thing to do? Go to sleep early so you can wake up early. Us as Ahmadi Muslims, we need to wake up early anyway because we need to do the morning prayer. And the morning prayer, which is the dawn prayer, which is the prayer that you do before the sun rises, which is done at dawn, obviously, as I just said. But when you get up for that, that is the best time to get up anyway. Because in these days, because it, you know we're in the winter season, the days are very, very, very short. Um, and so you know the morning prayer is, is quite late um, in, into the day. As in, obviously not... Bef- uh, not after sunrise it's before sunrise but you get the you get what I mean anyway the next thing which is mentioned on this list is to obviously like I mentioned it's, it's like um, quit, quitting smoking is easier said than done and that is to manage your weight manage your weight maintaining a healthy weight as I I mean all of these things are important but managing managing a healthy weight is important and also has um, many health benefits to that one as well and to do this it's important to know one individual's BMI is and I, I know a lot of people think you know forget about your BMI it's, it's rubbish there's a lot of nonsense um, because you know it, it, I mean, a lot of people have mixed opinions in regards to BMI but it's I mean it's important to, to you know to, to know what your BMI is because it sort of does put you into perspective um, what end of the spectrum you're on whether you agree with it or not to manage your weight that is something that you can agree on so let's agree on that then um the next thing is controlling your cholesterol now high levels of bad cholesterol can result in heart diseases uh, heart diseases as well as other diseases as and uh, illnesses as well and many gps and doctors prefer to monitor this type of cholesterol because it can be calculated without fasting and can be controlled in due time, if you know it beforehand. So this is why it's important to get your regular checks as well. The next thing, the seventh thing, is to manage blood sugar. Why is that important? Because the food that we eat turns into glucose. You may or may not know, but that provides our body with energy. Now, high levels of this blood sugar can guess what? It can damage vital organs such as your kidneys, your eyes, your heart, um, other, you know, uh, other organs as well, as well as a nervous system. And monitoring these earlier can actually help people with, you know, those people who have diabetes and or pre-diabetes as well. So this is why it's important to manage our blood sugar. It's important to actually know the foods that we're eating and, of course, uh, how much sugar is in that. And we don't want to eat, we don't want to overindulge with too much of that as well. That can be harmful for us. I don't need to go into the detail. Obviously, everyone knows that. Anyway, the eight, the eighth thing which is mentioned on this checklist is to manage blood pressure. A lot of people do this regularly anyway. Um, but uh, if you don't, guess what? Keeping your blood pressure within the optimal ranges can help you live healthier for a longer time as well. Now, levels less than 120 to 80 are the optimal optimal levels but obviously if you ca- if you know if it goes above 130 to 139 um that's you know that that can be a little bit much as well obviously you need to check consult your with your gps and your doctors specialists as well 
Um, right now, we're going to be taking a very short break. Right after that, when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, in regards to what Islam says in regards to this about uh, about eating. As I mentioned before, I wanted to talk about what Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran about eating. And there's two things which Allah the Almighty mentioned, eating that what is halal and eating what is tayyib. Now, these are two things. If you want to give me a call, 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to dial right now because the lines are open. And uh, after the break, I'm going to talk a little bit more in regards to this as well. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. People are asking, who is the gracious God? Gracious God is He who has created the sun and the moon for our benefit. The sun with which human life and the life of vegetation is associated. Through the attribute of Rahman, God grants without being asked. Can one say that the sun or the earth was created on account of one's deeds? Rahman is a being that grants beneficence of the kind that man does not have the capacity of giving. It is by virtue of being gracious that all creation receives God's universally prevalent beneficence. Prophets of God summon people to the gracious God for people's own good and not for any recompense. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the perfect manifestation of Rahman because his beneficence is incomparable. Being the perfect man, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had this quality in him more than anyone else and an ordinary person too should aspire to the paradigm, deriving luminosity from the sun of 1400 years ago. In this age, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, has further spread the light 
the light of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, is from that same gracious God. The quality of Rahmaniyat is pure favor and munificence and is not caused by any good act and is not the fruit or reward of anything. Despite humanity rejecting God, His Rahmaniyat remains overwhelming. If it were not for this divine quality, majority of humanity would have been destroyed because of its misdemeanors and sins. Despite rejecting God, people are asking, who is the gracious God? Writings of the Promised Messiah He is wonderfully omnipotent and marvelous are his holy powers. While on the one hand, he allows ignorant opponents to attack his friends like dogs, on the other hand, he commands the angels to serve them. In the same way, when his wrath comes upon the world and his anger surges against the wrongdoers, God watches over and protects his chosen ones. Were it not so, the entire mission of the people of God would end in disarray and no one would be able to recognize them. His powers are infinite, but they are revealed to people in proportion to their belief. Those who are blessed with certainty and love and sever all ties for him and have broken free from selfish habits, it is for their sake that miracles are shown. God does what he wills, but he chooses to demonstrate his miraculous powers only to those who break from their ill habits for his sake. In this day and age, there are very few people who know him and believe in his extraordinary powers. Our God is a very loyal God, and for those who remain loyal to him, he shows wonderful works. The world wishes to tear them to pieces and to eat them up, and every enemy grinds his teeth on them, but he who is their friend saves them from every danger and brings them out triumphant on every field. How fortunate then is he who does not let his hold go of such a God. To him we render our faith, and it is him we have recognized. Of all the world, he alone is the God who has sent down his revelation on me, who for me has shown powerful signs, who has sent me down as the promised Messiah for this age. There is no God except he, in heaven nor on earth. of Islam Radio.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. We spoke to a, a guest who spoke, uh, who told, told us a little bit more in regards to her charity, the Food Foundation, as well, the different things that they're doing in regards to helping those children who need or who are entitled or should be entitled to, to free school meals as well. But they, they're not getting it, so they're trying their best to to make sure that those children are getting access to free school meals as well. One, I mean, one good thing, you may agree or disagree with other um, uh, policies of, of the London Mayor if you live here in London, but one, I mean, one good thing that he has done um, is that he has given or access free, given access to free school meals across uh, London schools as well so that is uh, quite positive that is quite that's, that's quite good pat on the back for him for this now it's important for all of us to understand that eating healthy is part of our life if we eat healthy our life will be healthy if we don't eat healthy guess what it's no, it's no doubt that our, our, you know, our whole life is going to be a bit, it's going to be a bit down. You can tell by yourself that when you eat healthy, you eat healthy foods and you eat moderately, you do regular exercise, you sleep properly as well. You do all of these things, which I mentioned and I mentioned them before as well, especially the checklist. Then you will feel much better. When you eat when you eat unhealthy foods, when you eat junk food. On a regular, on a regular basis, you don't do any exercise. You become a couch potato. You do all of these things. You won't. You're not going to feel good. And guess what? When that happens, you're, it's going to lead to other problems as well, such as not just physical problems. I'm not. I'm not just talking about being overweight. I'm not just talking about being uh, becoming obese. I'm talking about mental problems as well. You can have. You know, you you can you know that is what puts you on that line to depression. That is what gives you more anxiety as well, and that leads to other illnesses. Which, at the moment, I don't want to talk about because that is a whole different topic that maybe we can do in the future and some other time as well. And we have done this in the past also. But the reason why I don't want to talk about that is because I want to talk about how we can live healthily, how we can be healthy as well. Now. One of the things which Islam mentions, and I mentioned this before, and I'm going to talk about it right now. Um, Allah the Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran to eat those things which are halal and tayyib. Halal meaning, meaning those things which are lawful for you, which those things which are allowed to you, or which those things which you are allowed to eat, to consume, and those things which are tayyib, which are wholesome. Now, those things which are lawful, that can be understood. Obviously, you know, the, the, the flesh of, of the swine, we can't eat that. Or normal circumstances. There are some other circumstances where that can be permissible only a little bit to save your to save your life as well. Until and unless something else is available, so you can have that. That's a completely different thing. So those things which are lawful and unlawful, that is, you know, th- that is quite understood. Of course, it's not just the flesh of swine. There's other things as well. You can't eat. Uh, you can't eat. Uh, you can't have blood. You can't have those animals which you know, which you know, they were having a battle, and then one killed the other. One 
animal which fell off, fell, fell down from a from a, from a hill. Various different things. Uh, that's a whole category, but they are very black and white. It's very easy to understand. Now, those things which are tayyib, which are wholesome. What are those things? And those things can can differ from person to person. For example, as I mentioned before, when we were talking about uh, when we were talking about eating a, a wide range of different things, eating your fruits, eating your vegetables, eating your meats, eating your your nuts as well. Now, for someone who's allergic to nuts. How is he supposed to eat nuts? He can't eat nuts because he's allergic. He might choke up. He might, you know, something bad might happen. Now, for that person to eat nuts would be would be not tayyib for that person. Would would not be wholesome. So he is not allowed to eat that, even though it is permissible for him for him to do it. But because he it will have a detri- detrimental effect on that person. That's why it's not tayyib on that person. Now the same thing can be said for other things. You know, some people might, someone might be allergic to, 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 for example, at the top of my head, honey melons, right? For that person to go around and eat honey melons, right? That can be lawful for that person, but it won't be tayyib for that person. It won't be wholesome for that person. So these are different things which Allah the Almighty mentions. So it's a it's a whole different spectrum. It's a whole different way. Uh, in which Allah the Almighty has explained to us very categorically, very very profoundly, that this is what this is what you should do, and all of these things should be done, of course, in a moderate way, in a balanced way. Now, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace, Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmad of Qadian, he mentioned that whatever you eat. As the as the saying goes, you are what you eat. He and he explained in in his writings the philosophy of the teachings of Islam that those people who eat too much meat, they become a little bit more arrogant, they become a little bit more loud, they become a little bit more rowdy. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, he didn't use that that term. But those people who just, you know, just eat vegetables and they don't have meat altogether, they cut it out. And they become vegans or whatever; those people become a little bit more shy. Those people come a bit, a little bit more. Um, you know, the traits of cowardness start start coming in those people who leave me totally. Now, what the promised Messiah upon whom be peace said that we should be doing what Allah the Almighty has told us. Why? Because He is the one who created us. If He is the one who created us, then obviously He knows how we how we're going to function properly, and He has said. To eat and drink, but don't exceed the limit. I mean, how beautiful is that? I know I started the show with this verse of the Holy Quran. I'm going to end the show with this part of the show with this verse of the Holy Quran as well. Again, that eat and drink, but do not exceed the bounds. Eat your fruits, eat your vegetables, eat your meat, eat your rice, your carbohydrates, all of these different things, but eat it in a moderate way. And make sure that whatever you are eating is clean make sure that whatever you are eating is obviously first of all halal you know if it's an animal make sure that the the meat that you are eating the the animal which which has been slaughtered has been slaughtered in the proper way in the correct way and then obviously on the other hand making sure that doesn't matter if that thing is halal or not halal or haram lawful or unlawful make sure that that thing is wholesome for you as well make sure that that thing is tayyib for you as well now this is very, very, very much important 
for all of us to understand. And this is what the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmad, uh, has mentioned as well. And this is, you know, some food for thought, no pun intended, but some something that we can actually leave with is that Allah the Almighty mentions in chapter 2, verse 173, eat of the good things we have provided for you and render thanks to Allah if it is He whom you worship. Now, I can go on and talk a little bit more about this as well, but the, the news is looming as well. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he has taught us that when you do anything, any, literally anything, you start off by invoking the, the name of Allah the Almighty. You say, Bismillah rahman rahim in the name of Allah the Most Gracious and Merciful. But also when you start eating, there's a special prayer for that as well. And then when you've completed whatever you were eating, you've completed your meal, there's a prayer to render thanks uh, and be grateful to Allah the Almighty for this meal that he has provided for us. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this part of the show. Don't go anywhere because after the after the news break, I'm going to go into the next topic, which is, of course, as I mentioned, that topic which all religions talk about, where all religions came from, Allah the Almighty. Join us after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. And the topic that we're going to be talking about, or what we're going to talk, be talking about now, is... The the fundamental reason why we are we have been sent to this world, why we have been sent to this earth, and that is to worship Allah the Almighty. And Allah the Almighty is the topic that we're going to be talking about. The reason why Allah the Almighty has created all these different religions, all these different religions, was for the reformation of mankind. Now, obviously, at a time where people were sent to one particular place. A, a, a nation was created, Allah the Almighty sent a prophet there. Sometimes later, maybe a century or two centuries, whatever, sometime later, another place, Allah the Almighty sent another prophet over there. Another messenger here, another messenger there. And there came a time where, uh, where, where, where mankind was ready. Mankind was ready, sort of it evolved so much that it was able to comprehend or it was able to receive the best teaching. And that is when Allah the Almighty sent the Holy Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, the Chosen One, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to Arabia in those days, but to the Quraysh, but it was for the whole of mankind. And that was the only time where Allah the Almighty sent a prophet for the whole of mankind, for the reformation for for mankind until the end of time, until the last day. Now, that was the time, as I mentioned, where Allah the Almighty got the people ready for this, for this, for this new revolution which was about to take place, and definitely that revolution did take place. But it's important to understand that it didn't just take place in the past. It took place every single day afterwards until the end of time. It's still going to, uh, you know, that revolution is still going to take place until the end of time as well. Why? Because the teaching that he gave was universal, was not just for the, for, for, for the Arabs, was not just for the Quraysh, 
was not just for you know m- people who wanted to become Muslims. It was for everyone because Allah the Almighty mentions that He is you know the, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, rahmatan lil alamin, mercy for the whole of mankind. I talk a little bit more in regards to what the whole of mankind actually means in just a little bit, uh, a little bit later on. But the reason why I'm mentioning this is because. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was sent, you know, that was sort of the, the Allah the Humayti even mentions that he only created the heavens and the earth so that, you know, so, so, so for the sake of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, for, for the best creation, and that was him. And the whole, because he, wanted, because he knew that he wanted to create him, that is why he made the, the heavens and the earth as well. And the thing is, is that he said that there will come a time, you know, Muslims will be upon righteousness as long as Allah the Almighty wills. But then there will come a decline as well. And that decline will definitely come. Because there will be, there will be some, some people who will take, you know, take Islam, you know, as a, as a hostage. And what they will do is that they will forget about the teachings of Islam. There will come kings, and those kings will, you know, later on turn into tyrants. Those tyrants will do so much damage to the Muslims, to the non-Muslims, to the world at large that they will be not pro- trying to progress Islam, but they will be, you know, doing the opposite, and the negative, a negative image of Islam will be portrayed. But it's not just doom and gloom. It's not just long nights. The Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then said that, but then after that, there will come a time where caliphate will come after the precepts of prophethood. What does that mean? That means that there will come a prophet who will come in the latter days. And what will he do? He will revive the teachings of Islam. What will he do? He will bring back the Holy Quran and give it to the people, explain it to the people. And make sure that the people actually understand what the Holy Quran is talking about. The Holy Quran is not just there to for us to recite in a, in a nice and melodious voice and in our prayers recite it in a nice voice and make sure that the people behind us weep when we, when, we know when they listen to the Holy Quran. It's not just for that. It's not just to recite. It's not just there to take oaths over, put your hand on the Holy Quran and, and swear on the Holy Quran. No, it's, it's not for that. What is the Holy Quran for? Holy, the Holy Quran is for, it mentions right in the beginning of the Holy Quran, it is the guidance for the righteous. And that is why Allah the Almighty sent the Holy Quran. That is why he revealed the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But when that time came, you know, when that decline came in the Muslims, then Allah the Almighty raised a prophet and raised Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad from Qadiyan. And he was the one who said that Allah the Almighty has sent me as a prophet. I am a prophet. I am a Rasul. I am a Nabi, a prophet, a messenger. And he was the one who preached that Islam which was forgotten for these, you know, for these, you know, for these, uh, for these centuries, so so long centuries. But obviously, the teachings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, they they reached far and wide. Of course they did, and they were bound to anyway, because Allah the Almighty told him that I shall cause thy message 
to reach the corners of the earth. And that is exactly what happened during his lifetime as well. But as this was a prophecy, this was also fulfilled after his demise as well. So in 1908, in, in, in May 1908, when he passed away, 26th of May, the, ne- the very next day was, the, was also the fulfillment of that grand prophecy of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Because on the 27th of May, 1908, that is when the system of caliphate was reintroduced to the world. Just like at the demise of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the first caliph of Islam, Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, may Allah be, may Allah be pleased with him, was you know, elected as the first caliph. The same goes with the history of uh, the revival of Islam. The revival of Islam being through the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And Hazrat Hakim Mawlana Nuruddin, may Allah be pleased with him, became the first caliph as well. We are now under the fifth caliphate and Mirza, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, on a day-to-day basis is telling us that, or reminding us what our duties are. What are our duties? The promised Messiah upon whom be peace said that you need to fulfill the rights of God, but also fulfill the rights of mankind at the same time as well. We'll talk a little bit more about this as well. But uh, let's speak to our first guest who's on the line with us. Imam is the Imam of the Betul Afiyat Mosque in Philadelphia. Azam Akram, thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Peace be upon you. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. thank you so much for joining us. And a very, very <coughs> important, uh, important topic. Um, I, I just gave a, a brief introduction in regards to the advent of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan, upon whom be peace, but, and of course the, the caliphate which came after his demise as well. But talking about how he mentioned defective concepts of God in other religions, can you just tell us a little bit more about that as well? And how does he explain the concept of, uh, you know, what, what the Hindus believe in, what the Arya Samajis believe in, in regards to this as well, but also the concept uh, what, what the Christians believe in as well. Yes, uh, Alhamdulillah. So, can you all hear me? Yes, I can hear you, yes. Okay. So, you know, uh, we have to preface this conversation by saying that um, living in this world today and any observable intellectual individual can and a reasonable individual can see um, hmm. generally a lack of God, you know, yeah. whether it's in our conversation or our social circles. I live here in Philadelphia, and you know, Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, they call it, right? Right. Um, it's in the name, uh, Philo Delphi. And the creation of this uh, city was was based on a prayer, you know. William Penn, fleeing religious persecution, you know, comes here and establishes the city uh, based on the principles of his personal experience with Allah or God. Hmm. And so, this prophet that we speak of, Prophet Ahmed, and his conversation, and 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 his purpose, really, he says, is that I have come to establish the connection 
you know, a living connection between man and his creator, right? Hmm. So this is the main purpose of all prophets, and this is the main purpose of, uh, I guess, all faiths. And he bases this on the fact that you can't really speak about God until you've had that personal experience, you know? Yeah. Um, he talks about philosophers, for example. You talked about other individuals. I'm talking about generally philosophers come to this conclusion that God don't exist because of X factor and so many other variables. Hmm. But he said, had they gone further, reasoning states that there should be a creator, there should be a sustainer, there should be all these amazing attributes that are, you know, allowing life to live and progress. Both inanimate objects are taken care of, and the range of animate objects are also taken care of. So there has to be a power behind this. And so he comes in this era where, you know, there's an increase in godlessness. And there's an industrial shift towards the Industrial Revolution. People are now relying more on, you know, uh, atheistic tendencies and ideas. This was prophesied by the Holy Prophet of Islam where that nothing would be left of, you know, Islam except its name. Mm, yeah. And so this Prophet Ahmed bringing back the true and living connection with Allah establishes the fact that God exists today. Now, the prevalent uh, religions of that time, this is during the British Empire, you had the Arya Samajas who were a Hindu group that would say, well, Parmeshwar, who is the God or Lord of all the worlds and the creator, something that you could uh, equate to, and this is, please take this loosely, not equate to Allah, but hopefully understand that Parmeshwar is the concept of God mm. in the Hindu faith, that, uh, you know, this he, he didn't create the souls, mm. and or he is not in command of, you know, um, showing leniency and has to punish, therefore, this continuum of... Uh, transcending into different universes, being becoming either lower forms of life or higher forms of life through the concept of reincarnation, right? Right. This is the outlet for salvation in the Hindu faith until one reaches that state, and in Buddhism you want to call it nirvana. Um, so these, these concepts of God being, in, being deficient in certain aspects go against the whole and soul nature of Allah the Almighty, right? He is yeah. perfect in all ways. He is... You know, uh, uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, Rabbul Alameen, the sustainer, the Rabb, or the creator of all the worlds. He is, and then we can get into the different phases, but the concept in Christianity then goes against it because now you have, for the longest time, the Prophet Islam writes that you have had God, Allah, whatever you want to call creating the universe without the aid of a son, right? Yeah. Creating the heavens and the universe without the aid of another partner. And then all of a sudden it comes to this concept of salvation, and that's where he needs help, mm. right? Yeah. So these concepts uh, really have to be looked at from a reasonable point of view, which Islam presents, very rational, um, equating and can be reasoned by the simplest of minds and by the most complex of minds, yeah. right? Yeah. So he took this concept of that there needs to be a God, you know, like we could say that I feel the need for love, right? Feeling a need for something is much different than I have love or I felt love, you know? Hmm. So 
this is something that has to be understood by the audience is that we can talk about <clears throat> um, the concept of God or the nature of God, but again, Islam doesn't hold that monopoly because, again, the concept of God that Islam has presented is not new. Mm. You know, yeah. it's been from time immemorial. That perfect being which is beyond comprehension, who can see without physical eyes, who can hear without physical ears. But when you put Allah or God or permission in the realm of uh, a human form, subject to the laws of nature, you know, uh, for example, the, the, the whole plight of Christ during the crucifixion, how dare somebody spit in the face of God? Right? Yeah. Or how dare, you know, somebody strike the, or, or, or God, uh, or, or God forbid, take on a body. And so you can see, once we get into that uh, Pandora's box, you know, mm-hmm. we, we demean Allah. And that is one of the greatest sins in Islam, you know, honestly, is to deny the reality of Allah's existence. What, what, what else is to do after that? Yeah. Literally, literally. I mean, one can't even imagine how they can have that sort of concept as well. May Allah the Almighty guide them in this in this regard. But I know you, you've spoken uh, about the different concepts of the different religions, especially the Hindus, the Arya Samajis, the Christians as well. Um, now, how how does the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, sort of you know go step by step, and how does he refute? the misguided notions of uh, of these, you know, of the Aryas, the Christians uh, uh, alike as well? You know, first of all, he understood and explained in not only his writings, but his speeches, that it needs no argument that a true and perfect God is, and whom God should be defined as, cannot be confined to a particular people or a particular age or a particular country. You know, he's a sustainer of all peoples and all ages and all places and all countries, you know. Hmm. He writes this in Pegham Isullah, uh, his book. And this is these are extracts that I want to quote directly. You know, I don't want to make up my own uh, feelings. But what he did was he brought together a an understanding of a living God, you know. Hmm. And he challenged people to follow these footsteps. And he challenged that there is no other religion apart from Islam, and there's no other way by going through the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi you know, yes. to achieve Allah and the true living God, because it is through the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu that the recognition of the one true God came into being. Obviously, you know, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu came amongst a paganistic culture and idol worshippers and so on and so forth, but to convince that small, according to the world, uh, about the barbarians, hmm. you know, for five years of his ministry, after suffering so much persecution and suffering, he got a band of 45 to 47 followers, all amongst majority of them lower class. And people are looking at them with such disdain and, you know, uh, it, it, it was kind of a, a joke until they started growing in their followers. Hazrat Umar, he joins. People start taking this seriously now as a threat. Mm-hmm. But 
when we look at the prophets of Allah, they are our standards to judge uh, the nature of God. For example, the pro- uh, the promised Messiah, Islam, writes, you, you have to look at Noah, you know. The God of Noah was such that everybody was against this one individual. Yet God proved, even to his wife, yeah. that this one individual is true, right? Like, talk about the odds of an, uh, excuse me and pardon this language, but this is a common nomenclature here, what we call the underdog, you know? Mm-hmm. So, this is an understanding. And, and then he says, look, look at the God of Moses. You know, when the Jews were on the righteous path and they deserved Allah, Allah's will, and they were the chosen people, they got salvation through what the Quran describes as the greatest tyrant of all time, Pharaoh, right? Yeah. So these are the odds that Allah Ta'ala is ascribing us to. And today, even if we truly believe in a living God, we would not be in the situation that we are. Mm. But this is the value of the Promised Messiah, and this is the value of the Amiya Muslim community, is that even in his testament, he says that my mission really is to come here and to encourage people to develop that relationship with a living creator, that there could be a, a band of individuals who are so righteous that their righteousness may be warding off a lot of these calamities that are coming our way, you know? Mm. So when you know you look at the Ambiya Muslim community guided under the leadership of uh, Khalif al whose job not only is to bring peace in the world, but to pray for the world, and to pray for the world who is bent on its own destruction in so many categories, whether you want to talk about environmental challenges or social challenges, political challenges, financial challenges, you know. Mm-hmm. This is this is the this is the plight of the world, and then you have what we're seeing in the Middle East right now. But again, if the 1.8 million Muslims or billion, I'm sorry, Muslims all over the world were united, if leadership was righteous, if uh, I guess the political agenda was not hijacked, I mean, Islam was not hijacked by a political agenda and the Muslim Ummah did come together, how could it be that these uh, individuals who are, you know, you can, now it's called an open-air prison, mm. you know, yeah. in terms of Gaza, the, it's like some, some, some people have compared it to the concentration camp, you know, yeah. Yeah. that's what they're saying. And images that are coming out so public and the world is like jaw-dropped, like this can happen. Yeah, so, seriously. This stuff is going on, and much more that we are not aware of. But this is what the uh, the Promised Messiah has written and has said, that when we develop this perfect permanence of the attributes of Allah, only then can we achieve that salvation that is needed. You know, And then he quotes the Prophet Muhammad talking about the Qur'an, where it says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regime, that the nafatadallah, you know, mm. that the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu came closest to Allah. Yeah. So so close, they were like one cord of two bows. Now look at the imagery and look at the beautiful illustration of the nearness and the closeness of Allah to the Holy Prophet sallallahu That just just shy of divinity, you know, they cut the barrier. Mm. You see what mm. I'm saying? Yeah. And this is the beauty that even the Prophet Muhammad was relegated 
the but only a basher, right? Yeah. Only a man, so that there could be no fear and no uh, concept in Islam of the Prophet ﷺ being divine in any way. You know, hmm. he was buried, and this is this is the other challenge for the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ that how could it be that Isa Islam is still alive in heaven? Hmm. This is, goes against every principle and nobility against the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ and the ethos of Islam. Islam's uh, survival is reliant on the death of Christ. Yeah. And he has proven, you know, this is off topic, but he's proven where Jesus Christ died and, you know, factually and on all relevant terms using uh, empirical data and, you know, even the Shroud of Turin, the Review of Religions, does a fantastic uh, exhibition every year. And you can see the Shroud of Turin. You can see how the Prophet Messiah Islam described how Jesus Christ uh, methodically, systematically, with the aid of uh, individuals, was was aided and, and escaped and had to go fulfill his mission, which was to, you know, unite the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? And the Jewish diaspora, as we know, was scattered all throughout and was scattered as far east as Asia. And that's where Jesus Christ ended up dying in, in a place in Siri Nagar, Khanyar, grave still there. Thomas Messiah Islam in the 1800s sends out an expedition with the aid of Allah's help to expose that this individual here is the Jesus Christ that the world is wondering is sitting in the right hand of God. Hmm. You know, <laughs> actually, <laughs> fairy tales yeah. again. Yeah, literally, like Disney couldn't. Uh, Walt Disney couldn't do it better <laughs> because a lot of people still believe in that fantasy and fairy tale, and we're coming around Christmas now. And we've got to believe in a fat Santa Claus coming down a chimney, giving kids Christmas presents. Why can't we just say Alhamdulillah and just give our kids Christmas, uh, presents and say this is from, you know, Allah's yeah. grace. Yeah. But again, it's that marketing term. It's that people are going to be spending money beyond their means, go further in debt, and just like live that nasty dunya life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that uh, is the sad, that is the sad reality. Of uh, of things as well, quite quite rightly. Oh, boy, you, you, you don't know you don't know how many people. Yeah, you don't know how many people come up to me after like uh, uh, Christmas time and ask for sadaqa, and I say, "Well, what was happening? Well, we got to pay some bills." I said, "What do you mean? I mean, I live in a rough neighborhood, by the way. Hmm. You know, North Philly is not the nicest of areas. Right. But this is the thing. You like kind of see the the pull is a lot. The commercialism behind everything, religion being hijacked. I love name being hijacked for the sake of money." You know, yeah. For the sake of politics, for the sake of you know terrorism and sanctioned terrorism, this is craziness. Yeah, I mean those those those. You know, I mean obviously we see that the conflict, the war, which is happening happening in the Middle East as well, between you know Palestine and Israel as well. I mean, the the Zionists they do claim that you know they they have right to the Holy Land. I don't even know if they believe in God Almighty or not. Uh, but who gave them that Holy Land? But you know, it's it, it is sort of um, tricky, a tricky situation that we you know that we that we're passing through. Just like you mentioned, the world that we are in right now, it's you know it's almost as if people forget about all of their problems, all of their you know financial problems also. But when it comes to these pro- when it comes to these things, such as you know, let's celebrate Christmas, let's celebrate this, let's celebrate that, then they go all out, and then after that, they they see. That what they did was, you know, they spent too much. They're in debt, further debt. 
they have to get a loan out to pay the first debt and then they're in more debt. Um, the cycle keeps on going on and on and on. And obviously, like you mentioned, God Almighty, religion has been hijacked. Now, the concept that they believe in, uh, especially the Christians, that they believe they, they've given a man, they've placed a man on, on, on divinity or they've given div- divine powers to a man. I mean, if anyone, like just like you mentioned, if anyone, if any human being on earth was going to go, get some sort of divine powers, it would be the Holy Prophet of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But even he kept on saying that I am, I am a man, I am a human being, and I am just like you guys. I am a human just like you guys. I eat, I drink, I have wives, I have different you know, uh, uh, worldly things that I do as well. But the, you know, it's sad to say, it's sad to see as well that the Christians, that uh, they have made a, a human being into into a God. And how, I mean, facts prove, this is not me saying it, the facts prove how weak that, that God was. That, you know, just like you mentioned, people were able, people spat on him. People persecuted him, dragged him from from, from one street to the other street. Now, just I mean that's a whole different topic that you know you know we can literally go off on a tangent in regards to that as well. But I just want to bring it back to the concept of God Almighty as well because he mentions that there are so many different attributes of His and we should try our best to copy those attributes as well. Now in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has told us those four principal attributes. Just for the benefit of our listeners, can you just explain uh, and talk about them to us, please? Yeah, so, so, Alhamdulillah, you know, Islam, mashallah, is coming to you from the most simplest of forms. You know, in the Holy Quran, and the Holy Quran, if uh, our viewers understand, the Holy Quran is a very special uh, creation. It's, it's more than a document. It's kind of like a living document. It's, it's the verbatim word of God as revealed to the Prophet, peace be upon him, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And this revelation... It's beautiful because, you know, it, it took a period of 23 years, you see. It was revealed and piecemeal and, you know, slowly. So, you know, this is kind of like the Muslim's introduction in, you know, the Surah Fatiha. The Fatiha, sometimes we call it, you know, mm-hmm. the, the opening. And it right off the bat, it has no ambiguity and no qualms introducing with it what is this, who, who it's from, right? So, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. It begins in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful. Right. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin. All praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. That's the first attribute. Hmm. The second attribute is Ar Rahman. The third attribute is Ar Rahim, meaning the Gracious. The merciful, and we'll, we'll break that down. And then the fourth and final attribute, which is considered the mother of all attributes, all these four collectively, is Maliki Yomuddin, master, owner of the day of judgment, the day of accountability. And these are the four principal attributes. And breaking them down, it really means the word Arab is one who is a creator in a way that he creates and also 
puts in provisions for the sustenance of something. Then that is irregardless of animate and inanimate objects. It's just Allah pressing into service the 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 matter out of nothingness. You see, and whether you want to call it the Big Bang or however you want to hypothesize it, we literally came from nothingness. Everything literally came from nothingness. Allah Ta'ala's other attributes are Al-Awwal from time immemorial Wal-Akhir and from time forever, you know, in perpetuity. So we are bound by certain limits and certain and those bounds, limits and those laws of nature press into action, that comes into this phase of Rabubiyya. Then you have the second attribute, second verity, if you want to call it, which is Ar-Rahman, the gracious. And Ar-Rahim is the third, which is uh, the, uh, the gracious, the merciful. Now, it really is the fact that Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim are both from the same root of the word Rahim, Rehemim, which denotes and connotes the womb of a mother, per se, you know. And Ar-Rahman is really where you got to do nothing. Everything has been provided for you. You've got the oxygen. You're born at the right altitude, you know. You've got, uh, uh, you know, the laws of nature already pressed into service, meaning the sun and the moon. Uh, everybody needs uh, certain provisions and minerals. Those are all taken care of. Yeah. So those are for all animate objects whether it's a human or whether it's an animal, don't matter. And then those are gracious, and that's a grace from God. You don't even need to do anything about it. And then you have the special grace, which is Ar-Rahim, where now one who recognizes that there are other levels that we can achieve by good relations, by acting righteously, by following Allah's commandment, can achieve higher levels of nearness and spirituality. We tap into that where we press into service through our own action and our own effort as human beings to draw from the special mercy of Allah, right? Hmm. And in the promised Messiah, Islam, is like, he, he writes, how does one know that you've got God's love? Like, what is the proof of Allah's love, hmm. right? And he, he says there are two things. He says, one is when you've got God's love, that veil of uncertainty of whether there is a God or isn't a God or should be a God or all those doubts, that veil is removed and Allah says, I am present, I am right here. Like the Quran says, I am closer to you than my jugular vein, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second proof that you've got the love of Allah on your side after, you know, you, you put all your heart and effort and you're sacrificing. I mean, Islam really is a sacrifice. It's to cause yourself a death the promise of Messiah, Islam writes, then you get these special signs of mercy and grace from Allah, which you get acceptance of your prayers of matters which were beyond, you know, human reasoning. And I've been doing this missionary work for 14 years now. Hmm. And through hmm. prayers, believe you me, and through the prayers of Hazrat Khalifa Masih, I've seen, I've seen doctors dumbfounded, right? I've seen scientists baffled, like, how did this happen, hmm. right? Yeah. But hmm. unexplained, unexplained, um, I guess curves happen in the laws of nature to make certain impossibilities possibilities, right? Right. 
And the only variable was prayer. It was like conclusively, because all others had failed. So these are the special signs that you got God's love that comes after that third verity of like Arahim. And then the last one is really completion, which is Al-Maliki Yomadin, which is understanding that we will be accountable, we will be held subservient to the laws of nature. We are given an option, right, mm-hmm. to choose like no other creation. Because sometimes, you know, like people say, well, you know, there's a different concept of heaven in on earth as it is in the heavens. You know, like we have this concept in Christianity of the Lord's Prayer, where we ask for the Lord to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in the heaven, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The yeah. promised Messiah writes very clearly, listen, the, the kingdom of heaven is, a, it, although it's the same God, there's, there are different laws that are in operation. For example, in the kingdom of heaven, you've got angels, right? Angels operate under a totally different law. They do not have the option of not obeying, Exactly. if you get what yeah. I'm saying, right? Yeah. So, so those laws are not operational here. So let's not get into that state of confusion. God's got his own unique laws, and we, we have to bind ourselves to operate under those laws, not the fact that we make up our own laws and, you know, can find God to work under those, you see? Hmm. That's, that's living in a fool's paradise. So um, that is where that fourth verity really comes in handy to understand that we need to make sure that Allah Ta'ala, although he is the master, and then there will be a master of the judgment, will be held accountable for our deeds, whether they be righteous or whether they be not. Um, but again, it is but for the mercy of Allah, because what does Allah Ta'ala say? He says, Laysa kamislihi shay, that there's nothing like unto him, you know. This is why also says, Inna Allaha yuhibbul tawabina wa yuhibbul mutatahirin, Surah Baqarah. That there's still mercy and compassion. This is where, where unfortunately, we got to create this fallacy and this fairy tale of the salvation or the blood of Christ, right? Right. That's like the that's the human limit. That's what the human mind can concoct. And, uh, that well, God God is just, but listen, just is only the promise Messiah found right that we have to understand as human beings. We don't have any right with we don't share any rights with God. You see, he he doesn't owe us anything. But as human beings, we share rights with each other. So we are not beholden to demand our rights from God. It doesn't work that way. But God presents itself that he will judge according to human beings altogether. And so we need to come to realize that it is God's uh, providence. Heaven and hell are his providence, and he chooses or not chooses. And the promised Messiah Islam also gives, you know, examples like, you know, when uh, if somebody's punished for a crime and you know they're 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 doing their their time, if you will, and their options, you know, if you if you do good behavior, you get out early. Mm. So it, it's even in human human beings, there's that option. How do we confine God to say that He must punish? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What happened to the grace and mercy? I mean, this obviously there's so much more that we can actually go into further details, different attributes as well, and obviously the you know there's so much more that we can actually talk about. But thank you so much for for joining us and speaking to us very very eloquently and uh, in detail as well, explaining to us 
and the different concepts of, uh, of, uh, of, of the different religions, but also how Islam portrays the true image of, uh, of Allah the Almighty, God Almighty as well. Thank you so much, um, uh, Azam Thank you so much. As-salamu alaykum. Um, may I say one more thing? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Before I leave, this is not me that's saying this. This is obviously uh, the, the, the prophet of our time. And his extracts, I've all I've read is from the Allah the Exalted book, you know, which is available. I know you guys are going to plug that, but hmm. these hmm. writings are immense. They, they, they are beautiful and they orient what we call our moral compass towards what is needed today. So please uh, pay, it a, pay it a visit and share this document with your friends. And if you really love somebody, you know, you'd, you'd want to share it with them so that they understand how we can develop our relationship in line with the true relationship that the Prophet has taught us. Thank you so much. So that was uh, Azam Akram, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, serving in Philadelphia in the Bedul Afiyat Mosque. Uh, Zakalan, thank you so much to him. We've got uh, our next guest who is on the line with us as well, another missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Imam Rabib Mirza, who, as I mentioned, is a missionary and is serving in the MTA uh, Department International as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you and peace be upon all of our listeners and Jazakallah. Having you once again, for joining us once again as well in a very uh, short notice. Also, thank you for for that one. And um, as you know, that we're talking about Allah the Almighty, God Almighty, and uh, you know we're just talking about different ways and different things in regards to how we can prove the existence of uh, of, of God Almighty as well, and the way that Islam portrays the the, the right uh, the right image of God as well in, in comparison to the other religions. Can you just, for the benefit of our listeners as well, just explain to us, um, you know, how the 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 you know how God Almighty is presented in the, you know in in the religion of Islam, but also it's not just a way of just believing in God Almighty, but also how we apply the belief of God, the existence of God in our practical day to day lives. How Islam has actually taught us that we can actually you know, speak to God or actually have communion with God and how we can experience God, not just a matter of belief in God, but further than belief and experience in God Almighty. How has Islam taught us this? Um, I mean, it's, a, it's obviously it's, it's a very large, yeah. large question um, and it, it demands great detail. Yes. But you see, the mannerism in which God Almighty has introduced himself um, in the religion of Islam is through his attributes. Mm-hmm. You know, the the fir- very first verse of the Holy Quran actually introduces two very beautiful attributes of God Almighty, where it states that Bismillahir <clears throat> um, Rahim, that uh, in the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Ever Merciful. Now. The attribute of Rahman, in other words, the gracious and Rahim, the merciful, have been mentioned here. Mm. And then throughout the Holy Quran, um, Allah the Almighty has, uh, if you if you want to use the the term, um, peppered in in obviously the the positive manner, that He has peppered His attributes throughout the Holy Quran, and it's the way that He has um, introduced Himself to the believers. 
and where he talks about punishment, um, God Almighty has shown his majesty. Um, he has shown that in certain cases he is quick uh, in seizing someone, where God Almighty sometimes talks about his prophets. Um, you know, <clears throat> God Almighty also talks about his uh, His majesty. God Almighty talks about his power. And then also God Almighty talks about uh, his wisdom. Um, so there are around, as, uh, as Islam has taught us, around 114 or even, you know, in, in certain other traditions of Islam, where there's over, you know, 100 attributes of God Almighty, whereby one can, we won't say comprehend God Almighty in totality, um, because obviously God Almighty is something that cannot be comprehended in totality, but at least um, a person can recognize his creator and uh, how his creator operates. Um, you know, the, obviously the language that I'm using is 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 limited to to our understanding, of course, um, but this is the only way that we can fundamentally understand. Uh, God Almighty, and that's through His attributes. Now, very interestingly, yeah. it's not one thing that a person only um, recognizes God Almighty, but then imprints God Almighty's attributes uh, in his own character. Because there's a very beautiful verse of the Holy Quran, and, and, and this injunction where it says, Sibrat Allah, mm. that die yourself or color yourself in the hues and shades of God Almighty's attributes. Mm. And that's actually one way that a person then can develop a relationship with his creator. Now, as far as um, having a living relationship with God Almighty is concerned, um, you know, the Holy Quran has not presented God Almighty as a dead God. A mute God, hmm. yeah. a deaf God. The Holy Quran has presented God Almighty as being, you know, a Sami. He is all hearing. So when we pray, you know, this is these are one of those attributes that come into to play here. And then it's Al Mujib as well that he answers the prayers. Hmm. He's the answerer. Hmm. So when a person calls upon God Almighty through his various attributes as well. That's in actuality a, a manner or, or a way that he is, um, you know, in, in enjoying his communion with with God Almighty. And you know, the first and and, and foremost thing that a person uh, can do to have that living relationship is to adhere to the commandments of of God Almighty to the best of his abilities. Hmm. And then God Almighty will show himself to you. Because it cannot be that a person is engulfing his life uh, with uh, vices, um, you know, tyranny, oppression, uh, transgression, rebellion. Yeah. And he considers that, oh, you know, God Almighty is, is going to have a relationship with me. Um, you know, the sort of pharaonic uh, ideology yeah. um, that I can do what I want and, 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 you know, still God Almighty will will be with me, uh, which is the case of 
of certain leaders uh, very unfortunately these days. Mm. One has to bow down before God Almighty, submit to His will, become humble, show humility. There should be no traces of arrogance within you. And, you know, the, the foremost thing is that if you adhere to God Almighty's commandments, only then God Almighty will, will showcase Himself to you. Yeah. That's why even when we see uh, the noble example of, of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, just imagine the humbleness and humility um, he expressed that for 10 long years, you know, he would seclude himself in the cave of uh, of Hira and uh, he would pray to God Almighty. This is before God Almighty commissioned him as a prophet. And then, right. as we know, that the night that uh, he was, um, you know, sent down the revelation, the angel said to him, uh, Ikra, but the Holy Prophet, as in, as in read, but the Holy Prophet, I mean, just look at these beautiful words where he said, Ma anabiqarin, that uh, I'm unable to read. But this was also an expression of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in saying that I'm unable to take this burden upon myself. Hmm. Not like the leaders of today who say that, or, you know, who consider themselves that, oh, you know, we are the, the, the greatest and, and most suited, suitable people for this task and there's no one better than us. Yet what we see them do is that once they get the reins of power, they misuse it yeah. and they use it to oppress people and they use it for their own vested interests. So it can never be the case that if you're using, um, you know, these things to ex- extend your arrogance um, and uh, manifest your arrogance, that God Almighty will showcase himself to you, that will never be the case. You have to be humble, show humility. Only then God Almighty will manifest himself to you and he will have communion with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very, very well uh, said and put there as well. And thank you so much for, for you know, enlightening our, our listeners in regards to this as well and emulating the different attributes of God Almighty, just as you just as you mentioned. Jazakallah once again and uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Peace be upon you. That was uh, Imam Rabi Mirza, who is also a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving here in uh, here in London, here in the UK. Um, what we're talking about over here um, is very, you know, it, it's a very, it's a very beautiful topic, and this topic is very, uh, is is so vast that you know whatever aspect that we want to go through, whatever, whatever we the the, the way that we want to talk about God in whatever aspect, it's such a endless ocean that we can't we can't even comprehend all of it. We can't even talk about even a little bit of it as well. So, Allah the Almighty has given us the, you know, the, He has given us, He has provided us with the Holy Quran. He has given us uh, this as well. And the promised Messiah upon whom be peace mentions in regards to the Holy Quran that there are 700 commandments in that. And even if you don't act upon one of those commandments, you're closing the door of salvation upon yourself. The Prophet Islam, upon whom be peace, writes in one of his writings, Our paradise lies in our God. Our highest 
Delight is in our God. For we have found Him, we have seen Him, and found every beauty in Him. This wealth is worth procuring, though one may have to lay down one's life to procure it. This ruby is worth purchasing, though one may have to lose oneself to acquire it. O ye who are bereft, run to this fountain, and it will satisfy you. It is the fountain of life that will save you. What shall I do, and how shall I impress the hearts with this good news? And by beating what drum shall I make the announcement that this is your God, so that people may hear? What remedy shall I apply to the ears of the people so that they should listen? This is from one of his books, the Krishtino, uh, the Noah's Ark, which is um, which is in volume nineteen, pages twenty one to twenty two, and many, you know, there's many different aspects, many different uh, 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 extracts from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, which he has spoken spoken about God Almighty, and through him we have actually realized and understood the true teachings of Islam, which were forgotten, as I mentioned right in the beginning of uh, of this uh, of this part of the show as well. Like I mentioned, it's, you know, however much we talk about it, we realize that, we, you know, there's so much more that we can talk about and delve so much deeper into this topic because, like I mentioned, it's an endless ocean uh, which will never, ever finish. But that's all we have time for uh, in our, in our, for our show today. Thank you so much for listening and, of course, to all the guests who took time out and uh, spoke to us as well. Uh, it was very, very enjoyable, very informative, very interesting, and hopefully the listeners benefited from that one as well. Of course, thank you to the researchers, the producers who help uh, produce and research this show, and of course the technical department, Asad, for, for being there in the technical side as well. The technician took care in that regard as well. We'll be back next time with some other interesting topics as we usually do on the Drive Time Show. Um, but uh, until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.